Good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever you may be. This is Snapshots in Hockey History. And welcome to another episode of Snapshots in Hockey History, where we relive the hockey highlight reel. My name is Brett Small. As always, just a friendly reminder, Snapshots in Hockey History is a listener-supported podcast brought to you free of charge every single Monday and Thursday at 8 a.m. I will never ask you for a dollar out of your pocket for this podcast. But if you want to do something nice, you want to help us out, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Also, don't forget to tell a friend, share on social media. Speaking of social media, don't forget to follow us on Facebook at Snapshots in Hockey History and on Twitter at Snapshots In. This one's going to be a really quick intro. It's 5.30 in the morning. I actually didn't go to bed last night till 12.30. I was watching the playoffs. Some guy's honking his horn outside my place right now. So this one's going to be quick. But I do want to get to part two of our interview with Jeff Tui because if you thought part one was good, part two is even better. He gets into some specific players as well as talking a little bit about recruitment and junior as well as later on in his career when he went and worked for as a scout in the NHL for the Phoenix Coyotes, kind of what some of the differences are in scouting at the NHL level versus the OHL level. So without further ado... Let's take it away. Here's part two of our interview with Jeff Tuohy. I don't know if you were in the GM spot at this point, but in the late 80s, early 90s, there's two players that were in the OHL that I want to ask you about. And I'm sure that you remember these guys. And I don't really want to get into their personal lives, but but I've got to ask. One guy was compared to Bobby Orr. They said he had more points than Bobby Orr, I believe, in junior. And that was Brian Fogarty. Um, yeah. I don't know a lot about Brian. I never saw him play. Was he that good in the OHL? He, he was very good. Obviously, he had a troubled past. Uh, you know, and I think a lot of the stuff that, you know, ended up taking his life was kind of there in junior as well. And uh, mm-hmm. he, he was a very good player, very talented. Uh, he played, I think his game really took off. Well, just again, backtracking a little bit. He was the first overall pick in the OHL draft to the Kingston Canadians at the time. Um, really never got much traction there. He got traded to the Niagara Falls Thunder. Uh, Bill LaForge was the coach and general manager there and, and kind of took him under his wing. And um, he really grew there to the point where, you know, he, he, he had a lot of points. Now, in fairness, I think Bill LaForge, you know, in some games where they were up, he would move him up to forward to pad the points yep. a little yep. bit. But but there's no denying he, he was a talent and uh, obviously a talented player that, uh, you know, lost his life way too early. That's it's too bad. It's too bad. I would have, I know he played in Quebec and I know he started to get his life back on track and, and it, it, it's just too bad him and John Cordick. I know, but the, yeah. the next player is a guy that's still around, still talked about all the time. But at the time when I was six years old, seven years old, hearing that this guy would not report to the team that drafted him, I was blown away. What do you remember about Eric Lindros and the Lindros saga in the OHL? Well, Brett, we were having a good conversation until you brought that up. Oh, okay. He, then I'll, I'll, I'll edit it out. I'll edit it no, out. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you why. He he ended up being traded to the Oshawa Generals. So we we had to play Oshawa 10 times a year when he was there. And uh, I, I can tell you that all my years of junior, um, I, I never saw a more dominant player than Eric. Um I can tell you the one year, full year, he played in Oshawa. We played them 10 times. Our record was 0-9-1. And, one. and uh, <laughs> he, he, was, he was a man among boys because not only was he a talent, I mean, he could, you know, he, he had high, high skill. He was a, a, an intense competitor. He was a horse. Um, he, he, he had no 
compassion for anybody like size didn't matter he would run you over so he was an unbelievable combination of skill size physicality uh i I saw a lot of good players but i i've always said that he he was the most dominant junior i ever saw and uh when he left oshawa to uh to go to philadelphia we were the happiest team in the world because because and you know what he could do too i mean you would catch him some nights where he really he was sleeping a little bit and, and you'd, you'd, you'd get your hopes up a bit and you'd think, geez, you know, we might have a chance because Eric, Eric doesn't look like he's into it. And he'd wake up third period and I'll just take the game right back for the generals. So, uh, so anyways, he, he just, just so, you know, you, to clarify why, it, why it's bad memories. That's why, because <laughs> he, he was that dominant I and mean, he could control the game. And again, a lot of these guys in junior, you know, you watch them grow physically, you know, you see them mature physically when he came in as a 16, 17 year old, he was already a man. Like he, he was physically six, four, uh, 200 plus pounds. Yeah, and, yeah. He was imposing, you know, he, he played in the Canada cup when he was 18 or whatever he was, you know? So, so yeah, I've, I've never, and I don't know that I ever will see a guy that, that dominant and, and that much of a combination of size and, and uh, skill. That's for sure. Did the did the guys in the league look at his decision not to go to Quebec? And did they look at that as earth shattering? Because that was something at the time that had never really been done before. I don't think. No, I don't think so. I, I you know, I, I don't know that any of us ever really know the the, the true story. I, I know that you know that you know I don't really know why he wouldn't go there. I, I don't have that insight. I know at the time when he was selected by Sault Ste. Marie, he wouldn't go there. Yeah, either. that's right. And, he wouldn't uh, go there. You know, that's, yeah. And, and that was a team that at the time was in transition. They were having, I, I believe, some issues, you know, and, and, and I tell people all the time, you know, even now there's kids won't report to certain teams and uh, it's easy to criticize them. But, but my advice always is, well, clean up your team, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. you know, if, I, I always felt in Peterborough, like if, if, you know, we didn't, we could never buy players or pay players to come. We hoped, and we, we had a, we had a player like, and, and I'll, and I'll you know, it goes back again to an American-born player, Zach Bogosian. Um, now, you know, Zach is a. We had him for two years in Peterborough, and it's a, it's a great story. It goes back again, I think, to how you treat players. We we had a, a number of clients from Bobby Orr, who you know is an agent, high-powered agent, and and uh, we were a small market. We had Eric Stahl, we had Jordan Stahl, we had Steve Downey, and Bobby really liked the way we dealt with players and. Uh, he called me one time and he said, told me about this young guy he had that was playing prep school hockey in Boston. And I said, well, Bobby, like that won't work for us because Massachusetts is a, is a uh, Quebec protected territory. And uh, he said, no, no, this, this guy's from uh, Messina, New York. You should go see him. And he said, if you like him, then I'll make sure he'll come to you for sure. So, I said, okay, well, I better go to Boston because if Bobby Orr is telling me this guy's a good player, I better go see him. So I, uh, I went to Boston. I saw him playing prep school hockey, and right away I was like, wow, he's, he's a good player. So when I got back, I, I called Bobby, and I said, you know, do, do you, would you mind if I drove to Messina and met with uh, Mr. and Mrs. Bogosian, Zach's parents, and uh, just to, to talk to them about Peterborough and, you know, see what their thoughts are. So I went and spent probably four hours with them one night just talking. And at the end of the conversation, uh, uh, Ike Bogosian, who's uh, Zach's father, uh, said to me, he goes, where do we sign? He goes, uh, "Wow, uh, the only team I want him to go to is Peterborough. 
And uh, it wasn't about, it, and it was not about money. We had, we did nothing, you know, that wasn't within the rules for Zach, but, but it was, a, again, it goes back to finding a way to separate yourself. And, and basically nobody went down to visit the parents, uh, you know, Ike and Vicky Bogosian, who are Zach's parents, they didn't have exposure to anybody else. They, you know, and again, it, it goes back, I think, to how you treat players and, and the environment you put them in and, and it opened the door uh, it, obviously, if we weren't looking after Bobby Orr's clients, he never would have approached me about Zach Bogosian. So, mm-hmm. so again, it, you know, it's kind of a it's a long winded answer, but I, I believe players have a right to turn down certain situations if the situation isn't good. <laughs> you know, like no, I, I I think it I think it makes complete sense, and it's even neater to me is is that was not a recruitment that you guys you did not go out and scout him. That was like another way that a player came to you through, you know, an agent. I, I never even knew that was something that really happened. I always thought it was you recruited, you drafted, and, and you went from there. But it's, it's interesting to me to see something that it was an agent that made the call on that one. Well, it, it was, and it, and it was unique because he was playing prep school in Boston. And again, that was whatever year that was, it's 10, 12 years ago, whatever it was. But, you know, there wasn't a lot of coverage. So I don't even know how many teams, and, and listen, it doesn't make me any smarter than anybody else. I, I might not have gone to see him play either had, Bobby but you had the right, you knew the right guy. You knew. Well, again, and, and, and again, it goes back to, you know, we, we took in Eric Stahl from Thunder Bay. He was a young, scrawny little 15-year-old at the time, and we looked after him. And, and uh, you know, we did it with Jordan. Steve Downey needed a change from the Windsor Spitfires. We traded for him. And, and I think Bobby just kind of liked, you know, there was no, he, he kind of knew where we stood. We, you know, there wasn't any side deals with players or it was all about just, providing them with good billets, making sure they were in school, making sure there was structure off the ice that, you know, and again, none of, these guys aren't all angels, but making sure that there was structure, there was rules in place. Um, you know, and, and I think that, you know, Bobby kind of felt that parents could send their players to us and, you know, for the most part, not have to worry. You're always going to worry as a parent when your son leaves home, but um, for the most part, knowing their structure and that the situation is positive, it, it opened other doors for us that you know allowed us to get a guy like Zach Bogosian that we wouldn't have again had we not found ways to separate ourselves and and be a little bit different another d-man that you picked up that we have to talk about who had such an impactful NHL career and another guy that's still around how did Chris Pronger wind up with the Peterborough Peets (laughs) that's a that's a really good story um Chris was a player that you know he was, he was playing junior b in in stratford at the time and i had seen him the year before he was at a he was a in a high school tournament and skinny kid and at that time you know in order to draft him i think you, you had to take him the top couple of rounds or something as an underage and, and nobody did but i remember i had seen him uh in stratford and i thought wow he's he's really taken a step and so again i was back to dick todd who was a coach and gm at the time and i said you know you got to come see this guy so we went and saw him and I remember Dick just kind of looked at me. He's like, this guy's a star. And uh, he, he fully intended, uh, you know, when the draft came around, we had done our homework and he had fully intended to uh, go to Bowling Green University like his brother. And we had approached the family and there was zero interest. And uh, so we were in the sixth round and it's funny how things happened. It was just fate, but uh, <clears throat> I think it was the Sioux Greyhounds had two six round picks and they picked, and then we picked in the middle, and then they picked again. And with their first six-round pick, they took a kid that was a risky pick that was also going to go to university. And I remember Dick Todd just saying, 
you know, basically screw it. I'm, I'm going to take Pronger. We'll take a chance on him. And wow. I, re- I remember some of the scouts threw the pens down. It's like just a wasted pick in the sixth round. And, 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 it, and at the time, Brett, in all honesty, it was a wasted pick because Chris had zero interest in coming. And, uh, you know, we recruited and um, it, it, we actually uh, chartered a plane to fly him and his parents to Peterborough just to look around. And, you know, they came in, looked around and really, I didn't get a good feeling that they were going to uh, report. And uh, again, as fate would have it, he made the under the Canadian national under 18 team that summer. They were playing in a tournament in Japan. It just so happened that his roommate was Brent Tully, who was a defenseman for Another us. Another Peter well. Bro Pete. Absolutely. Yeah. And they were rooming together. And, and, and I think they talked a lot about Peter Bro. And, and I think I'm still pretty close with, with uh, Chris. And we talk a lot and, what happened with Chris, I think he didn't really realize how good he was. He knew he was good, mm-hmm. um, but he didn't really know how good until he got into that tournament and all of a sudden found out that, you know what, maybe I am better than a lot of these guys. Maybe I need to accelerate this process. Maybe playing junior hockey is the best thing for me. So what started is just a, you know throwing a dart at a dartboard, taking a chance, drafting him in the sixth round, uh, turned out to be probably the greatest six round pick of all time. He's a hall of fame player. Um, you know, one of the greatest defensemen of all times. And it was for me, you know, I coached the defense the two years that he, that he played for the Peets and, and I've never ever had a player as smart as Chris or as in tune with what was going on. And, and uh, I always take a lot of credit and I tell him this all the time to this day, Brett, I, I made him what he is today because I, I taught him how to play 40 minutes a night because uh, he was an easy guy just to put on the ice. <laughs> so he learned early. He could play. He could handle 40 minutes. So, But he was a student of the game, and, and uh, him and I spent a lot of time. You know, I love being on the ice for practice. Chris loved being on. It was always one of us was going to be one of the first ones on the ice for practice every day. He used to sit with me on the bus and, and just talk hockey. I mean, he would, he, would sit, he would come up and sit with me when we would leave Sudbury, for instance, on a Friday night four and a half hour trip he'd still be sitting with me at the end of it talking hockey mm. you know so so you know i really his enough. career was was no surprise to me i mean he's an intense competitor i i could do a whole podcast just on stories on him um but he's also a guy that never forgot his roots uh you know his his uh, banners there's a banner uh hanging in the memorial center in peterborough celebrating him he you know he stays in touch uh you know he never forgot so again it goes back to what started as what looked like a wasted pick uh, it was, was pretty special. He ended up being drafted into the NHL. I think it was the Hartford Whalers. and Second overall, yeah. Second overall. When a guy gets drafted like him, and I can't remember, did he go directly into the NHL or did he spend another year in junior? No, he left. He, he was a late birthday, so he played two years for us. Okay. It was uh, October, I think, birthday. So he went right from us to the Hartford Whalers. And we knew as soon as he was drafted, we had, there was no hope of him coming back. He was just too good. Without question, though, you did. You have had guys over the years that were drafted and then returned back to junior. As a GM, what kind of relationship do you have with the NHL club? How does that work? They're all different. Um, you know, some are outstanding. Some, it used to shock me that these were NHL teams. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I, I can tell you when I was in Oshawa, uh, the, the greatest experience I had with an NHL team was the Philadelphia Flyers. Cool. Uh, Paul, Paul Holmgren at the time was a general manager and uh, they had drafted Scott Lawton from us in the first round. Yep. And uh, I remember uh, he would, um, Paul would call me on a weekly basis, basically updating me, letting me know the status of uh, Scott and whether or not, you know, he was going to stay with the Flyers or come back. And 
I remember he called me the one time and, and he said, uh, you know, I think he needs to come back. He said, uh, when, when does your season start? And I said, well, we start Thursday in Peterborough. And uh, he said to me, oh, he goes, that's a, that's a big game for you. He says, uh, he'll be back for sure by then. <laughs> you know, so the communication was outstanding. And I can tell you some other teams that I won't name. Uh, it was just a, it was a exercise in futility. They never talked to you. Um, they would show up, you know, you'd see them after games talking to your players. You'd have no idea what they were saying. Um, you know, so it was very frustrating. But for the most part, most teams are good. I, I found over the years, uh, the good teams were good. The bad teams were bad for a reason. And part of it was they didn't know how to deal with prospects or teams or build relationships. Uh, but I can say that the, uh, of all my years in junior, I never had a, a relationship like Paul Holmgren was with the Philadelphia Flyers. And I, and, and, and I know you're probably a, you're a Capitals fan, but. Yeah, know, but, you, you know, that, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll just edit that part out. We're not going to go okay. there. Um, <laughs> one of the things you just talked about, how did you, you know, you went to two Memorial Cups. You guys hosted a Memorial Cup. Your time in Peterborough, though, comes to an end. How did you wind up in Oshawa? Well, actually, I went to four Memorial Cups uh, during my time in Peterborough. Um, we went in 89, 93, 96, and 2006. So I got those. Actually, I've got a tattoo with all those dates on there, so oh, I don't forget cool. them. Very cool. But, uh, you know, it was funny. It, it, it came to an end pretty pretty abruptly. Uh, they had made some changes in the board of directors there. It's, it's a nonprofit mm-hmm. organization. Uh, there's a board of directors that I think just wanted to get more and more involved in, in running the team. And, and uh, I, I pushed back against that, um, you know, and, and uh, I worked, uh, I was 30 years there, got fired in five minutes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I was very fortunate. I went to the Arizona Coyotes. Don Maloney gave me a chance and uh, I, I worked two years for the Coyotes. And then I always had a really good relationship with uh, Pete DeBoer uh, when he was in junior um, head coach of the San Jose Sharks. Oh, for sure. He, he, he owned uh, the Oshawa Generals. He owned part of it with uh, Adam Graves. And uh, they were going to make some changes there. And Pete, Pete called me and, you know, wanted to know whether I'd consider coming back. And uh, I really didn't like the way my time ended in Peterborough. And, you know, this was close to Peterborough. It's only 45 minutes. And, and it was an arch rival of the Pete's. And, uh, um, and Adam Graves, who I don't know if you've ever met Adam, but maybe one of the most special people I've ever met in hockey. Uh, knowing that Pete and Adam were involved in it um, was really intriguing to me. They had a really good, I thought, a really good team coming back. They had underachieved and, and uh, just needed some direction. And, and, uh, and they, had, they had made some changes in Arizona that, you know, I, I was kind of looking to get back. And, and it was just a good fit. So I went to Oshawa uh, for two years. Um, had some success there and, and uh, you know, as would be the case, the, the ownership between Pete DeBoer and Adam Graves, they kind of divested themselves of most of the, the generals and another guy, uh, sole owner, kind of took it over and a uh, good guy, successful businessman, but really wanted to be much more involved in the hockey operations than, than you know, I kind of wanted. So um, Don Maloney, who's also a very, very special guy, um, had told me when I left Arizona that, I could always go back if, you know, and that's easy to say, but two years later to think that, you know, um, he would actually take me back. Um, and he did and, and gave me a, uh, promotion to the assistant director of, of amateur scouting. So, 
Um, again, long-winded answer, but that's how I ended up leaving Peterborough, going to Arizona, going to Oshawa, and then back to Arizona. So, and you just came off of your stint with Peterborough, uh, with uh, Arizona, excuse me. And I, I kind of like to, as we kind of wrap things up, because I've taken you for a while tonight. Chat about your your job as an NHL scout. How different is it to scout players for the OHL versus the National Hockey League? Yeah, it's different. You know, it was a big difference for me from from a long time. You know, watching young kids you know, 15 years old playing and trying to project their development. And, and, and then all of a sudden, you know, you get exposed. I used to, I used to go to Europe a little bit, even in junior, but not to the same extent I did with the coyotes. And all of a sudden you're in Finland, you're in Sweden, you're in Slovakia, you're, you know, you're trying to tie all this together. The kids are older. Um, there's, there's a lot more factors to, to take into account for sure. So there was a learning curve for me. I mean, I, I was with the coyotes. I think I was in my seventh year with them when I left there in November, but you know, I, there was a learning curve for sure because there's different cultures, different styles of play, different sized rinks that the, the Europeans play on. You're watching high school, you're watching college hockey, uh, you're watching junior. Um, you know, w- when you're in junior, you're basically watching, uh, minor midgets. Uh, right. So, you know, all of a sudden when you're in when you're in the NHL, the, it's the world and it's every level. So wherever there's a player, um, you have to go and, and then you have to try and, you know, weight the different uh, levels that they're playing at, like a high school guy in Minnesota versus a guy playing in the men's uh, elite league in Sweden, mm-hmm. for instance, you know, where they where they stand. So. So it's a lot more challenging, and and uh, but but I really enjoyed it. It it was it was a lot of fun. You got to you know see the world. I mean, obviously, I I went places I never ever would have gone if I wasn't involved in hockey. I mean, in in Russia, and as I said, Finland, Czech Republic, uh, Slovakia. So it was a great experience, and uh, I'm hoping you know ultimately to get back into it. Obviously, I've I've stepped back, back since November. Um, you know, and, and uh, kind of still got the fire. So hopefully something opens up for me in the spring. One thing that was interesting to me, you spent seven years with the, the Phoenix Coyotes, and, and I've always been fascinated with this guy, and I've never asked anybody about him. When Chaka was given the job as the GM, I said, this isn't going to work. There's no way. This guy is 28 years old. And five years later, six years later, whatever it's been, he's still there. And it seems like he's doing a great job. What was it like working with him? He's an interesting guy, Brett. Uh, and it wasn't obviously John that uh, caused me to leave there. It was it was it was some other people. But uh, jo- John is a really bright guy. He's a young guy. Um, he's very progressive. Obviously, the analytics is a, is a big part of of what he does, and it's a big part of hockey now. But uh, he he uh, I had a really good relationship with John, and and uh, you know leaving there was was very difficult because I had very good relationships with the coaching staff there with the training staff uh the complete when you're there seven years you're part of it you know everybody and and uh you know john was very good to me i i had no no complaints about him and and really admired uh for a young guy his um you know his his hockey uh iq i mean he's he's got a very good memory he's very analytical in his approach to things and uh when when Tim Bernhardt and I were basically overseeing the, the scouting there. He basically left us alone. Uh, he allowed us, he questioned us, but basically allowed us to, to make the picks as, as we saw fit. And uh, so he's, he's a very bright young guy. He's well-spoken. He's very, very intelligent. Um, he's passionate. Um, so I, you know, I think the, the coyotes are in good hands. I, I think the coaching staff there really this year with their injuries and what they've accomplished uh, between Rick Tockett and, 
John McClain and, and Scotty Allen. It's it's been incredible what they've done with especially with the injuries. So so I think that the, the the future of the Arizona Coyotes is very bright and obviously it starts at the top with John. Yeah, I I, I it was one that I never thought you know, when I saw John, I said, there's no way this is going to work. There's going to be a, a Brian Burke or somebody that's going to just take advantage of this guy. And five or six years later, he's there, and, and the organization's done well, considering everything they've been through. Um, you know, my, my hat's off to him. Well, I, I got to tell you, I, I know that you are out, you know, visiting your grandchild, but what else are you up to now as we kind of wrap things up? I know you've got a podcast. Tell everybody, uh, Tell everybody about that. <laughs> well, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of fun actually. We're we're I don't think we're any uh, competition to, to to you, Brett, but uh, it's just something we started in in Peterborough. The the radio station um, they wanted to get kind of involved, and the the guy that's the uh, uh, TV or the cable broadcast play by play for the Pete's uh, Pete Dalladay kind of wanted to start this uh, hockey podcast, so he approached me, and uh, it's it's obviously given me something to do. Uh, we we interview a lot of guys that maybe aren't big names, but have really interesting stories. And we, we have one coming out this week uh, with Steve Larmer. That oh, that'd be a I, great I one. It's, it, it's well worth listening to because to me, Steve's a, he's a hall of famer. He's a very humble guy. And it, it, uh, to hear his stories on his career, uh, it was really, it's a really good one. So we're, we have a, a podcast called the unnamed hockey podcast. We don't, we don't have a name for it yet, but uh uh, it, it's well worth listening to this week, especially with Steve Larmer. But we've done we've done Dallas Aikens, we've done a guy like Rob Murray, the coach of the Tulsa Oilers, uh, you know, pe- people like that. And and so I've uh, I've got that. Um, I, I actually, when I stepped back from the Coyotes, it was my decision, and I, I decided that if I was going to do it and uh, walk away from, it, I'm very fortunate. I've, I've got a supportive wife, and my kids are growing up. I could do it, but uh, trying to get better. Really, I've spent a lot of time. Uh, meeting with and talking to analytics people, kind of leaders in the analytics field, trying to get uh, more understanding of it because it, it is a big part of the game now. Um, a lot of time reading. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've watched uh, every every night I watch NHL hockey, um, stuff that I couldn't do before because I was just too busy. But now I watch it every night. Uh, I'm in Calgary. I'm actually going to quite a few Flames games. Uh, Dom Maloney's been unbelievable to give me access to to watch games. So, so just getting more exposed to to the NHL. I mean, it, it it sounds incredible. You spend all those years scouting and trying to find players for the National Hockey League, but you really don't have time to watch games. Oh, so, man. so it's that. And as you said, and I'm sure you've 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 heard my little grandson in the background. It's it's getting to be feeding time. So I'm sure you've heard a few. Uh, tears in the background but just you know it's very special to be able to spend time with him and and, and my daughter and her husband uh, I, I never would have been able to do this had I been working full-time and and I think at the end of the day Brett the scouting in the National Hockey League is a hard job and very and, uh, you know to 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 be able to step back for a year and kind of you know regroup and and collect some my thoughts and 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 I, as I said I made a focus to myself to get better uh, if I'm going to be off, I'm going to be better. And, and uh, so it's a long-winded answer again, but between the podcast, uh, watching NHL games, uh, you know, talking to uh, analytics people, I fully intend when I get back uh, through Kay Whitmore, uh, I'm going to be sitting uh, at least a couple times, I hope, in the NHL war room just to kind of see, um, you know, what they're doing. Um, I've spent a lot of time uh, with with uh, OHL young, young coaches that I've become friends with just, just, 
talking and trying to help if I can. So anyways, it's uh, even though I've been off, I've been busy and, and, and I, you know, if I can get back into it, obviously uh, uh, next year, I think I'm going to be uh, way better at, at, at what I do. And uh, hopefully there's opportunity, but you, you never know. That's for sure. But I, I, I don't regret my decision. It was the right one for me. And obviously financially you take a hit for it, but uh, uh, morally and ethically, it's the best thing for me. And uh, you know, I'm looking forward to whatever might be down, up, uh, down the road for me. That's for sure. You can always make more money, but you can't get your years back. So sometimes you got to make that decision. On a side note, I've heard the unnamed podcast. It's very good. I heard the episode with Rob Murray. You also had another player call in. I think it was John McRae, maybe. And uh, Ken McRae. Yeah, Ken McRae. Ken, Ken that's actually, right. Ken, Ken was a coach. Uh, I had him as a coach in Peterborough, and, and uh, he settled there. And, and uh, he was a tough guy in the American League, too. So he works at the radio station now in sales. And uh, so we kind of tried to you know, fool Murr a little bit, but, uh, you could do a whole, like I said, Rob Murray, you could do, he's, he's an ex Washington capital. Too. Yep. You could do a whole podcast just on him. I mean, it's an incredible story with, with Rob. And I, to this day, I, uh, I stay in touch and, and you know what, just not, not to ramble on Brett, but that that's one of the great gifts that I have from my time in juniors is the relationships I have with, uh, you know, not only a Chris Pronger, but, you know, a lot of the guys that are, uh, you know, maybe not Hall of Fame players, but, you know, there's still the friendships, whether it's Dallas Aikens or Rob Murray or guys that are teachers or whatever it is they're doing, whenever we connect, it's, uh, you go right back to your junior days and those relationships, uh, you know, I'm very thankful I have those, that's for sure. When Bobby Orr comes calling and says, you got to check this player out, I don't care who you are or what you're doing. You drop everything and you listen to Bobby Orr. And it sounds like Jeff did that. And they got a hell of a player in Zach Bogosian, who, you know, is still playing in the league today. I still remember his first shift when he ended up having to fight Donald Brashear. <laughs> Funny the things you remember. Don't forget to check out Jeff's podcast, the Unnamed Hockey Podcast. Really, really good. Just had Shad Thornton on. Haven't heard that episode. Probably going to listen to that on the way to work today, either that or the uh, new podcast, if you haven't heard it yet. Matt Barnaby's podcast called Unfiltered. He did an interview with Eric Lindros, so I'm looking forward to that. Meanwhile, I'm going to go ahead and jump off, but we'll see you next week. We're going to return back to our regular format of covering a kind of a playoff run or a regular season. I think everybody will enjoy that episode. Also, probably do a State of the Union kind of on the podcast where I see it going, kind of stuff like that. I think it's going to continue to grow, so I'm pretty excited to share some some kind of my ideas with what we're going to do down the road. So have a great rest of the week. Enjoy your weekend. We'll see you on Monday for another episode of Snapshots in Hockey History.